Hello, welcome back to episode seven of Pyramid Podcast with myself, Murph, Tomo and Lauro. Uh, today we'll cover off the Prem results from the weekend with a bit of FPL sprinkled on. Lionesses came so close but fell at the final hurdle. Touch on Football League for big wins for Ipswich, Wigan and a classic in League Two at Wrexham. Uh, mine and Lauro's experience of YTFC uh, and finish with a little preview of Monday Night Football. Boys, how are we? Tomo, how was your weekend? Yeah, really good. Um, good family trip to Centre Parks. Um, shame about the football, to be honest. We we all went and watched the United game. Couldn't couldn't even celebrate a goal. Then we all went woke up on the Sunday, went to watch the Lionesses. Same thing. Couldn't couldn't celebrate a goal. But yeah, other than that, really good. Thanks, mate. Good stuff, Laura. Yeah, pretty ordinary as well. Um, both my teams had to come from behind to salvage a point at the weekend and like Tigo just said the Lioness is lost so uh, yeah not overly upbeat but um, had worse yeah I mean full set really Yeovil Yeovil not good we'll come on to in detail United spun at Spurs and Lioness is losing so bad weekend all round boys but yeah let's start with the Prem then Um, I think probably biggest game of the weekend was City Newcastle after Newcastle's display and City losing De Bruyne but they just tend to have a knack of winning. A um, bit boring, really. But what did you make of City, Tomo? Um, well, I wasn't really surprised about the sort of how the game panned out. We said, obviously, um, before the game that I thought Newcastle would pose a sort of difficult test considering City played in the week um, in the Super Cup. Um, I was, what, what I was really impressed with was Phil Foden's performance in central in the centre of midfield, sort of coming in to replace the injured Kevin De Bruyne, but we don't usually see him in that position. But I've always thought, ever since he's sort of come on the scene, which is maybe five, six years ago, that, that he would all, uh, like naturally evolve into that sort of number 10 position. Um, but it just hasn't happened. But it, maybe De Bruyne's injury gives him the chance to, to sort of play centrally. And it obviously worked um, against Newcastle. He created the most chances. He made seven um, chances. He obviously got the assist for Alvarez's goal. And sort of as an England fan looking on, you're kind of hoping that Southgate sort of takes note because a sort of midfield three of Declan Rice, Bellingham and Phil Foden at the Euros next summer is absolutely mouthwatering. Um, but yeah, the game obviously... Alvarez scored 1-0. Um, Newcastle probably not quite had the cutting edge that they did at Villa um, or against Villa. Um, yeah, but like, like as Loro says, three points, move on, go again. Great result for City. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I w- City were still very good and they were quality in passages of play and the goal was unreal. But the the only team we can judge City against in the Premier League is themselves and what they've done in the past, because that's the bar. And although they're obviously still the best team in the league at the minute, I think that gap looks closer than it's been in a while um, for a few reasons. Just Firstly, I took a picture of the substitute bench from Man City at the weekend, and I think that looked as weak as it has in a while. Um, and I just thought watching the game that Newcastle just felt like they were in the game and had a lot more possession than you'd normally get at the Etihad. I mean, I've got it here. They had over 40% possession. I know that's still 
less of the ball, but it's probably a lot more than most teams get there. And I just thought if they'd been a little bit cuter in the final th- third, particularly Almoron on a few occasions, I think if he made better decisions, they could have been in um, and they could have got something out of that game. So I look, it's early days um, and obviously they're probably still recruit. And I know De Bruyne has just got injured, but I just think that City are a little bit closer to coming down towards the rest the rest of the pack than going up the other way and getting even better at the moment. Obviously, Newcastle are a good side, um, but I just think Newcastle will be quite disappointed they didn't come away with something from that game. Um, but I do agree with, with T-Gal. This is the time where Foden needs to cement that central position um, and make it that free of Bellingham, Rice and, and Foden ready for the Euros because that will be formidable. Murph, what I wanted to jump in actually and ask you, because obviously I know you're, you're a striker, Julian Alvarez's finish absolutely world-class and actually sort of last season I thought he kind of went a bit under the radar um he had a really good season to be honest um but obviously because Haaland had like the most freakish season ever sort of no one really spoke about Alvarez but actually I did a little bit of um research before we come on the pod He's, he got 17 goals and five assists last year um which, okay, that's a good return. But actually, when you sort of break it down, it was a goal and assist every 114 minutes. So, like, he's, he's quality, isn't he? Like, in, in, essentially, I know he's, he's at the minute he's playing alongside Haaland, um, but he's essentially come, come in as sort of like Haaland's backup. But that finish was quality, wasn't it, Murph? Yeah, um, unbelievable finish. Just, like, in, instinctive, like, no chance for Pope. But I, I was literally just going to come in there. Now that... Kane has gone. I'm sorry if I'm missing something really obvious here. Does he start up front for every other Prem team now? Who, Alvarez? Yeah. I, I, I'm not trying New- to think. Not Newcastle, I don't think. Yeah, I'm just, I was just going to say, the only thing could be Isaac and Wilson, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say no to, to Alvarez in that. I think every other team now, he absolutely walks into. What was impressive with that last year as well is he wasn't sort of coming on for Haaland in games, because I, I can't remember really Haaland coming off too much. And when he did, it was kind of a song and dance about him coming off. I, he'd come on in like the 10, wouldn't he, Alvarez? He'd be like made to play a bit behind, a bit deeper. I actually, I, I did watch the game on um, on Saturday with Loro, actually. My my thinking was that he was behind Haaland in the sort of 10 position. And then Foden was a bit of a kind of freer role on the sort of drifting in off the wing, playing in the middle. But... Yeah, he. I mean, he was formidable as well. Foden. I'd love to see that that England midfield you said about. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think that you, if we can upgrade from what we seen was quite formidable a couple of years ago in Rice, KP, and um, Mount. I think if you go Bellingham, Rice, Foden, if Foden cements that down for the Euros, that will be unreal. And boys, just before we move on from the game. Um, I saw today that City are willing to let KP go on loan for the season to try and rediscover his form and Liverpool are linked with him. Do, do you think City would allow that, allow him to go to Liverpool? Do they think Liverpool is still a title challenge or do you think, uh, I mean, personally, I, I think he KP would fit somewhere nicely like, I don't know, Villa, Newcastle, Brighton, that sort of mould. I don't think City would let him go to Liverpool, Arsenal, United. Uh, no, I, if I was City, I wouldn't let him go to Liverpool. But um, it makes like it makes sense for KP and Liverpool that move because KP they need they need uh, another d- defensive midfield. Obviously, they've got 
Endo, but we all know what you think of him, Murph. And um, and KP is, is Endo a defensive midfielder? Yeah, hold yeah, him. yeah, yeah. He well, he he actually started his career as a, I think as a centre half, and he's moved lately into sort of DM. Um, I saw um, it might have been you, Tomo, on Football Tweet or one of them today, saying that it City are considering sending KP out on loan. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So if it was a loan to Liverpool, so KP couldn't play against them. Like, I don't think Liverpool are going to challenge. I don't think Liverpool are going to challenge Man City this year. If someone finishes above Man City, they're going to win the league, and I don't think it's going to be Liverpool. Um, uh, with KP, uh, a couple of years ago, as you boys know, I think that would have an amazing signing for pretty much anyone in the Prem. But now that he's had that year of not really playing, and the year before he left. He was injured all year for Leeds as well. That's a couple of seasons now with no football. He's in his late 20s. I think it's a bit of a risk for someone now um, at the top level, like Liverpool, to come in and place their hopes on him sort of holding that midfield um, and being a big player. Because sometimes it can be hard to get back to the top um, when you're not towards the end of your career, but you're not not as young anymore. So... Um, yeah, risky one all round. But if he can get back to what he was like for Leeds a couple of seasons ago and what he was like for England in the Euros, then it's a no-brainer for Liverpool. Um, and he doesn't seem to be getting in it, in it, City, does he? So why not? Yeah, the only thing I will say is that, like, one of the key things about sort of professional football, that one of the most underrated qualities in professional footballers is just availability. And Liverpool, yeah. if you if you sort of cast your mind back to last year, they had similar issues and they went and um, got a loan for Arthur and basically he got injured sort of a couple of weeks into the season and basically didn't play. And yeah. there's there's a good chance that KP sort of does the same thing. Um, That's what I mean. I think as you get older, it's probably, as a, I don't know, but as a professional athlete, it's probably harder to trust your body and be as committed and full-blooded as you were before as well if you spent so much time on the on the sidelines and it's hampered your career. So that's what I mean. It's a bit of a risk, isn't it? But on paper, it would be a great signing for Liverpool um, and a better one than Endo. Yeah, completely agree. Boys, let's move on to uh, the other unbeaten uh, side, maximum points, uh, Brighton. Before we get on to Brighton v Wolves and the performance, um, I was thinking about Sasedo gone... McAllister gone, Basuma gone out of their midfield. And I was like, who actually starts in midfield for Brighton? Like, I can pitch their team, but just can do it. I'm going to run through their starting lineup, Brighton's, and then we'll, we'll get into the game. So, in goal, Steele, James Milner, right back, Webster and Dunk, centre halves, Estupinion, left back, midfield, Pascal Gross and Gilmore. Solly March on the right, Welbeck up front, Inciso in the hole, and then Matoma. I look at that side and I think to myself, Milner 37, Gross 32, Billy Gilmore, Danny Welbeck's obviously older, Solly March, I know he's playing really well, but is Deserby just doing an absolutely amazing role with the squad that he's got? Or am I completely underestimating their side. No, you you yeah, well you're probably doing it's a bit of both, isn't it? You're underestimating the team. Um Deserby's clearly doing a great job. He he obviously um got dealt a good hand by Potter, but he's moved that Brighton team on and so much so that sort of Premier League managers are now looking at Deserby and Brighton ball 
and trying to copy it. And the one one thing I will say, you just spoke then about um, the two centre mids, Gross and Gilmore, because obviously we can all talk about Inciso, March and Matoma, Estupinia, and they're all the obvious names to pick out um, from that game against Wolves. But actually, when I was watching the highlights back, I was really impressed with Gross and Gilmore because their ability to basically take the ball under pressure, break the lines quickly, and then once you give the ball to your Matomas, Estupinians, Welbeck, all of these guys, and NC, so they're sort of running into space, and then you've got the basically Brighton attackers flooding forward and creating chance after chance after chance, and obviously um, they managed to they managed to bag four this weekend. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I was impressed with the two the two central midfielders because obviously the other guys we, we're all impressed with anyway. What he does really well as well, Deserby, probably in a, the closest I've seen to Pep Roulette, he, he, ch- he changes his players all the time. He rotates them really well. Um, when I was looking at Evan Ferguson for fantasy football, I was looking at their last like five or six games of last season and the team's different every week, almost in a similar way to City is. So if you look at Brighton's team the week before when they played Luton, they had a player called Dahuda midfield, who again... No one's ever heard of, but no, he, he come from come on, he come no from Dortmund. He come from okay. Dortmund. Okay, well, I've never heard of him. João Pedro started. I'm not sure he started at the weekend either. And they started with Van Heck at centre back. Um, so that's running straight through the middle of the side, and they were four one winners that day, and they were four one winners at the weekend. So, um, we've said I've said this before. You have to remember that. Players that are coached well will perform well. Um, they were coached, obviously, very well under Graham Potter and they were coached very well um, under Deserby. So they deserve all the success they're getting. Um, and maybe when a, a player like Basuma goes off to Tottenham like he did last year, I know he was injured a lot, but isn't quite the same. Maybe he just wasn't being coached and managed in the right way in the same way as he seems to have been at the start of this season where he's performing well again. So that's something that you've got to remember as well. It's not just, you know, transfer fees and they were good last season. They've got to be managed and coached properly as well. And Brighton seemed to get that right. Do you know what's really impressive about Brighton um, is the fact that they can sell like McAllister and Caicedo this summer. And then we're all looking at their team now and I'm thinking, well, next summer they probably could sell Inciso for 50 million. They could sell Matoma for 70 million. Estupinian could probably go for 50 million. Evan Ferguson, like, 100 million so it's actually and then it's actually crazy that they're sort of producing these players or creating an environment for these players to perform to the level where you're thinking well they could they could be sold next year for x amount of money and it just they seem to be able to do it year after year like you say basuma the year before Caicedo come in so no doubt like if they do sell these players they'll have players to come in and you just like if you're a brighton fan you must be like, well, I have complete faith in Tony Bloom and the guys who are recruiting um, players to sort of to get the replacements in early. Yeah, and it's not just the recruitment of players, is it? It's the recruitment of manager. When the Graham Potter went, it, they could have got, there would have been a whole host of names interested in the job. They've gone for Roberto De Zerbe, who another manager that I'd not really heard much about. He's come in and I think he's one of the best managers in the league now. But you're right, they could get rid of these players at this time next year. And what they do is they sneakily bring through these players without you noticing, so they're ready for first-team football. Like, Buonanot. <laughs> Buonanot, the, 
the, the attacker that started scoring at the end of last year, who's in and out of the team at the moment, suddenly yeah. they'll sell Batoma last um, next summer for 120 million or whatever it is, and he'll start and he'll start scoring. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you think where's he come from? Then you look, and he probably would have got 20, 30, 40 games over the last 80 months, and they sort of blood them in without you noticing. Um, and when, when you add in the little bits of Solly March and James Milner, the more wholesome sort of players. Um, there's a nice blend there and it just seems to work well. And Solly March, I mean, I saw him, um, it might have been match of the day, interviewed him saying, why aren't you in the England squad yet? He's been pretty good over the last year or so. There's not many too many attacking wingers that have been better than him. Yeah, I I was going to just raise that actually. I watched match of the day and he asked, you know, Solly March, I think the commentator asked him, why haven't you been in England or Solly March for England? And he was like, I don't know. He's like, I can only keep doing what I can do. But it'd be interesting to see of international break whether... He's called up. Obviously, if he's right-sided midfielder, unfortunately, he runs into Saka um, for that. But obviously, you need depth. I think I'd, I'd be surprised if he doesn't go with the next squad. But yeah, mightily impressive, Brighton. Just a quick um, one. Just a quick one, because I know you're going, go about to move on. And obviously, we are doing a bit of a Brighton loving at the minute. But I just want to touch on Wolves because actually, yeah. if you look at the sort of the XG stats of the game. Like Wolves had were two point zero six and Brighton was two point two six. So when you, I know XG stats are kind of get battered a little bit, um, but I actually thought, and um, when you watch the the highlights, Wolves got into so many good positions and created so many chances. And on another day, if you've got a good striker who can score goals or um, sort of ruthless wingers, then they would. It would be a tighter game, basically. So obviously, Brighton four one. Um, away from home, great result. But these are sort of the like the fine margins of Premier League football. And what I did want to touch on as well, um, which I thought was quite funny, was Mateus Nunes's um, yellow cards and and or the red card and yellow card because both of them were questionable. And obviously, after the Lucas Paqueta news, I'm pretty sure bookmakers across the country will be investigating the betting patterns of the family members of Mateus Nunes because. It was um, it was absolutely insane. It was like you just thought, yeah, fuck it, I'm 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 off, I'm going. Yeah, complete and utter head loss from him. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'd be looking at uh, I'd be looking at the um betting patterns for sure on that one, Laura. Yeah, those allegations purely from um from Tomo and Murph, and not from the the Pyramid <laughs> podcast as a whole. Um, but you're you're right. It was the same against Man United for Wolves, wasn't it? If you can't put the ball in the back of the net, not only do you not score, but you don't give your opponent something to think about. There's no pressure on them. And then you can end up losing three or four. But I was the same as you. I watched match of the day and Wolves went through a few times again, like they did against United. And if you don't have that goal scorer, um, you will come unstuck and you'll, you'll find it hard to pick up points. And the longer the season goes on, the harder each fixture starts to look. I know that from being a Leeds fan for the last couple of years. And suddenly you find yourself with 10 games to go needing to find some wins from somewhere and every single game looks difficult. Um, so I don't think that is a fine margin. I think that's a, you need a striker, you need a goal scorer and you need it soon because they haven't had one since Raul's Jimenez's injury, have they? No. That that Cunha looked so good against United. I, obviously he had his chance, well he had his chances, but the clear one was obviously hitting the post at the back stick. I think on match of the day, he, he misses like a header from a couple yards, doesn't he? That, either hits the bar or steal, tips over. He should be someone who's getting applauded for his performances and already be on two free goals for the season. Wolves have some points in the bag. 
but instead we're saying our oh, Wolves played quite well and you know their XG was X and if they get a goal scorer but that's two games no points and yeah I'm sure I think they've got Everton away at the weekend which if you had to bet on nil nil would probably be the absolute banker with no neither team being able to score a goal uh cure four or goal fest but yeah I they they need goals desperately um Right, we'll move on. I don't really want to do it. And Laura, I'll come to you first for an impartial view. But um, 5.30 Saturday, Tottenham United. Um, I know you're a big fan, actually, of Ange. Um, but yeah, what what were your thoughts on that game? And yeah, if you want to touch on United as well. I thought it was a tight... I thought well, Not a tight game. I thought it was a close game in terms of the level that both played. United had the better of the first half and Tottenham had the better of the second half, didn't they? But I, I, said, I was, said this, we watched the first half in the pub together. And I said, there's something in this for United. And like, like you've said, um, trying to make yourselves feel better about the performance. You did have a couple of guilt edge chances. If Rashford scores that header or Bruno, which was absolute, you know, guilt edge tap in type material, then it's a completely different game again. Um, and then you always worry, don't you? If United away from home, if you, you're not winning, the longer the game goes on, it feels a little bit soft centered. And it's like, Oh, well it is Tottenham. Maybe we'll just lose it then. And all of a sudden the home team, um, pick up an impetus and they end up scoring a couple of goals. But um, I think Tomo will probably speak a bit more in depth about what he thinks about it, but it's probably all is not lost for United. Um, but you are going to, again, another one, you do need someone to start putting the, the ball in the in the back of the net um, and also ensuring that when the striker comes in, you can play your best, best, best players in the best position. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't, you know, if I was a United fan, I wouldn't be overly deflated. You can go to Tottenham and get beat. Um, but I don't think you got beat badly or played off the park. I just thought you ended up getting done 2-0 because you didn't take your chances. Tomo? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's My immediate sort of reaction was obviously doom and gloom. Um, utter shite kind of thing. But when you sort of look back at the game, it was a bit like, I agree with Laura, it was a game of two halves. I thought we were really good in the in the first half, I thought um, Mason Mount was really good in the first half, but really sharp. Um, Rashford, the same. Obviously, missed a couple of chances. Um, I just did a little bit of um, research before we come on. We had 14 shots in the first half of the match, which is um, our most in a Premier League game, in a Premier League away game um, since 2008 against Everton. So that sort of tells its own story. We managed to create loads of chances. I thought we we were a much better team. Spurs did look dangerous on the break. Um but then like you say if you if you miss your chances, um it sort it sort of changes the game a bit. Spurs grew into it in the second half and obviously they they obviously um deserve the win. Um what I would say is I I was impressed with Andre Anana again and I don't know I know which um, clip you boys, or what what you think of this? Do you remember the pass for Garnacho? Yeah, yeah. And I was that was literally one of those like hand in mouth moments where I was just like, oh my god, we don't have David De Gea in goal anymore because that was like an Edison type pass where I was just like, wow, like he is almost like a bit of a game changer. So I was really impressed with him. Um, the one Tottenham player I was most impressed with was um, Basuma. And I know we spoke a bit about him already. He's played two games this season for Spurs and got man of match in both games. And there was there was a there was a moment in the second half where he did this sort of like drag back flick and he nutmegged Casemiro. And I just thought, yeah, that's kind of like where the game's going. Um, 
I think he's been one of the standout players. I know there's only been a couple of games, but I think Basuma, especially you know, on the, upon the backdrop of what happened last season where he just didn't start firing, I think he's been one of the players of the season so far in terms of the first two games. He stood out as a very, very good player and a bit more like what Tottenham thought they were going to get. Um, I agree with you on Onana. And, and to, we, had, we said at the start of the season with Onana, I was worried that it was all about the ball playing um, and not enough about the goalkeeping and he'd make some rash mistakes. But again, early days, but he looks like a good shot stopper. Saved a lot against Wolves, made some good saves as well against Tottenham and looks like a safe pair of hands back there. So um, maybe I was a little bit wrong on that one. But another one I was going to ask you boys about, Emmy Martinez taking off... At, uh, not Emmy Martinez, Lissandra Martinez taking off at take taking off at halftime against Wolves. Lucky not to give a penalty away. Looking a bit rash at the heart of that defence at the moment. Yeah, so I, I actually think he he's not quite over his his injury from last year. I think um, they said, well, the, the official sort of line from Eric Ten Hag was that um, Martinez was kind of he sort of had a niggle. That's why he come off against Wolves. Um, and it was and it was the same ankle as his I think it was a um what was it an ankle injury or a it was an ankle that, injury. Yeah, it was. We when he went down when everyone thought he'd done his Achilles and that, that was, was a matter of months, and then it ended up being like ankle, it might have even been like metatarsal area, but something down there and Tenag said it was the same, basically the same foot or same side. Yeah, but what so yeah, so I am a little bit worried about I wouldn't say I think basically his injury and his, his fitness is affecting the form, but obviously it's only two games in. The the one thing I'm, I'm sort of most worried about at the minute is when you look at sort of like Basuma's performance, you can't help but compare him to Casemiro. And look, we 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 love Casemiro as a United fans. I like I really like him, but the thing is with him is basically he's never been the most mobile, and he's clearly not the most mobile right now. And if his sort of reading of the game isn't at 110% spot on, he he looks quite laboured. There was a part, there was a, a small moment in the um, first half where he went to tackle James Madison. James Madison just basically just sort of like knocked the ball past him and just ran around him like he wasn't even there. And I just thought, wow, he looks off it already. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, he needs help or may, maybe... Obviously, it's clearly it's clearly early on, um, but there's plenty there was plenty of times in that first half where, where as well where I thought Spurs were getting in behind and then the gaps appearing in that central midfield on the on the counter attack and a sort of a better and more ruthless team. You can just imagine sort of like City and Liverpool just ha- having a field day, and it's all, almost quite scary when you think about it. Um, I don't know what you think about that, Murph, about Casemiro. My prediction. Um, would be he's off to Saudi Arabia in 2024. Yeah, I I actually agree. I think Jamie Carragher's doubling down any on his point that United have obviously spent big on him. Um, he's not a long term investment. He's already showing signs of it. Uh, him and Varane strike me as two people who could get stuck into that Saudi. I know Varane's getting linked fairly heavily now, but um, apparently he he doesn't want to move yet. But we're going to end up in the situation again, aren't we? I mean, you know, maybe maybe Kobe Mainu might come through and be an absolute breakout star, but we're going to be in a situation again in 12 months where we've, within the last two years, signed Mason Mount and Casemiro, 
and Man United need a midfield overhaul again. Add Christian Eriksen to that as well. He's obviously aging. 32. Yeah, 32. Yeah. Casemiro is aging, could could go. His legs clearly, you know, his, he's not the most mobile anyway, but that could happen. Mount, I'm seeing now that it's like, oh, Mason Mount needs to play out wide for Manchester United if he's to succeed. Well, hang on, we've just signed him as our main midfielder for 50-odd million. Yeah, what did you boys? What so? What did you boys think of Mason Mount? Because actually, I'll be honest. The first half, I was generally really, really impressed with him. Like, it was a couple of times where he received the ball on the half turn, and he sort of wriggled round his his man and progressed the ball well, and sort of like set us up for an attack. And I just thought, yeah, he looks sharp. He looks on it. Okay, in the second half, he probably sort of just like United did, slowed down a bit and struggled. But I, I was really impressed with him in the first half, and obviously. The sort of the Twitter brigades and the sort of meme squads are like getting him sort of looked at, looking all forlorn on the bench and going, I immediately regret this decision and wanting to go back to Chelsea. But I, I think he, I think he will come good. Yeah, I I I don't doubt that he'll improve. I think the thing for me is is that, and I know it's only two games, but everyone has the same preseason and other new signings are bedding him fine, i.e. Madison, um, but. I, I, it just stuns me that we've signed him to play in midfield and now it's like, oh, we, we obviously can't play him in midfield next to Casemiro with Bruno. Like, they, you know, it leaves Casemiro too exposed. I think something's got to change there. Also, yeah, he looked okay in that first half, but I think every fan, when you've got a new sign-in, you, any, you, you pick up on anything they do well and cling on to it, that it's like, yeah, he's doing well. I remember when we signed Memphis Depay, I used to all the time, like, he'd score, like, the third in, like, Europa League or whatever, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, no, he, he's, he'll come good. But early days, but I, I'm not quite sure there. If he has to end... That what I think will end up happening, actually, is, like, Arsenal away, which is the game after Forest, I believe. I think one amount or Bruno will end up being a wide man. And playing on the right wing, if people continue, if this Anthony performance, these performances carry on. And I I think that he doesn't want to put McTominay in there because he wants McTominay to go and he wants to sign someone else. But it will be Casemiro, Bruno or Mount, the other one out wide, and then another midfielder is what I think in, in bigger games. But then your home games where you should be able to just have one holder and go a bit more forward like Wolves, we were completely exposed there. So I, I don't know. And then the Martinez point, just to go back to that, him and Varane look really exposed. They look like how Maguire and Lindelof used to get ran at when you had McFred there. So is Casemiro's drop-off so far just exposing Martinez and Varane a little bit and making them drop off? So, yeah, I'm not quite as positive as you, Tomo. It might be that I, you know, check my phone after footy on Saturday and we've humped Forest, but... I don't I don't see United going to any big team and getting a result. That like nine top I think it's top nine games. It's now nine without a win since last season, one draw, eight losses. I don't think there's the character or the tactics or the personnel there where we'll go to Anfield, Etihad, uh Emirates. You can probably add in St. James's Park because of how much of that's a cauldron now. Amex. Villa Park and have the bollocks to get anything. But yeah, that's a bit depressing, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in. I'm thoroughly depressed. I don't know what you chaps were expecting from Mason Mount, though. Like I know he's just signed for United, but 
We know Mason Mount. We've watched him for England and watched him for Chelsea. He's not like 60 million quid. I know that's a lot of money, but in in this day and age, look at all the other midfielders and what they're going for. It's not he's not like a make or break player. In that midfield, he's there supposed to be the balance. Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro are supposed to be uh you want Bruno getting the goals and you want Casemiro Casemiro sort of dictating playing the, and sitting in front of that back four. So you 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 should really know what you were going to get from Mason Mount. Um, He'll no, have I, but I think you just said it in your question there, like um he we thought he would provide a lot more balance and obviously this you can get your big signings and and your big money players like Bruno, um, Anthony, these guys who will win you the games, but it's like the sort of the Mason Mount types that actually sort of gel a team together. Although I thought it would, and it just hasn't worked like that right now. But that, but that's what I'm saying. I think if Bruno's firing and Casemiro's firing, you'll probably notice that Mason Mount looks quite good as well, and he will provide that balance. But like Murph just said, if the head start shirking, the going down, you're one nil down. He's probably not one of those players that's going to drag yeah. you up. Do you know what I mean? You need yeah. your Brunos and you need your Casemiros to be your match winners in that regard, and to be the ones that set the tempo and set and you know put that character into the team. Mason Mount ain't one of those players. Otherwise, he'd be 110 million and he wouldn't get be getting sold from Chelsea. So I think he could be a good side in and he could be utilised out wide as well. We had a brilliant season for Chelsea playing out there. I think the one before last and scored a lot of goals and had a lot of assists. So it's not all doom or gloom on him. You've only had two games as well. But I think the bigger issue there is possibly that Casemiro one um, and not quite being as influential um, for the team and as solid as he was last year. Yeah, he's got four years. He's got four years left on a, on a 350 grand a week contract. So honestly, I can see United thanking their lucky stars that Saudi Arabia are about, and they want to they want to sign big players because, it, like at the minute, I know it's only early doors, but it does look like a little bit like he's lost a yard or like or just a little bit leggy. Um, yeah, I will just come in there. United lost their first two games last year terribly. Casemiro messaged in, he saying to Varane like or to Ten Hag like, tell him not to worry, I'll come sort it out. I remember then crying out for him to start and we carried on with McFred. He didn't start the first six games, I think it was, from that. And I think there's a little bit in from Real Madrid fans that he does start a little bit slower. So let's not let's not uh, be too doom and gloom, even though I just have been. I think what's the more worrying point is that Casemiro will have to move on at some stage at 32 and Man United might have missed the boat on the world-class holding midfielders as in, well hopefully going to be world-class. Rice, you can argue, is Saicedo we're about to come on to. Lavia's just moved. Have we missed the boat for those holding midfielders to secure your midfield for the next eight years? But let's move on from United uh, and let's go on to West Ham beating Chelsea. Um, we'll touch on the result, but also, boys, I just want to get a gauge of, on a scale of Jonathan Woodgate scoring an own goal and getting sent off on his debut and Rooney scoring a hat-trick against Fenerbahce, where... Does Saicedo sit on that for that cameo? I've seen some tweets about people listing out each of his mistakes over pages and pages, which is a bit dramatic. But uh, yeah, thoughts on him uh, and the game, Tomo? So, yeah, so he's he's right up there holding hands with Woodgate. Like, <laughs> but, but to be honest, I actually thought it was a bit unfair on him to even play him because he's missed a couple of weeks of training um, because of obviously he's been trying to force this move through. So I was, I was surprised he made the squad, to be honest. Um, but yeah, he had a stinker, didn't he? Um, he gave the ball to four nails and four nails probably should have scored. He 
he, he gave the ball away a couple more times after that. Had a sort of long distance shot, which you don't sort of associate with Caicedo, and it went high and wide. And then obviously the penalty, um, which was an absolute stonewaller. But then it's it's just one of those things that when you're not sharp and at it and fit in the prem, you can just look stupid re- really quickly. And you've obviously got all the Liverpool fans on social media jumping on it. Um, so it's good content for people like me. Um, and it's obviously funny, but. Um, just quickly on the game in general, I was actually quite impressed with Chelsea and I thought um, I thought they looked really good. Obviously, they went 1-0 down early doors. Um, James Ward-Prowse doing what James Ward-Prowse does. I mean, his first corner, he set up a chance, um, which was sort of fired a warning shot at Chelsea. And then the second corner, obviously, Agard rises highest and scores. Um, so poor from Chelsea, to be honest, not to learn from their their, their mistakes. And then I sort of thought Chelsea grew into the game, dominated Raheem Sterling. I think his first 45 minutes was probably the most electric I've, I've seen him in a long time. Um, he was quality. Um, Car- Carney took a main car. I was impressed with his goal was absolutely class. But yeah, obviously they, they missed the penalty with Enzo and then Carney got injured and it sort of, sort of, sort of changed the game's sort of momentum. Um and and yeah, and then obviously 33-year-old Mikel Antonio pops up, does what he does best. He, he he didn't have the best of seasons last year, and I thought I thought maybe he would leave. I've, he's actually been linked to Leeds, hasn't he, Loro? And um but with sort of performances like he did against Chelsea and that goal, I don't think West Ham can afford to let him go. Um but yeah, so no. I was I was it's not all doom and gloom about Chelsea, but sort of a good result for West Ham. Um, but yeah, just one of those one of those things. I all thought right. that was the most ridiculous result of the weekend. I thought Chelsea were class. Yeah, I thought that yeah, absolutely yeah. class. They went they went to West Ham. I've just had a look. I didn't know this before, but they had seventy six percent possession. Right, that doesn't surprise me. I thought they were brilliant. I think Potter's got them set up just right. And when they start clicking, and maybe Kaiseda comes in, maybe Lavi, I don't know who the favoured um, couple in midfield are going to be. They're going to be a really, really difficult side to beat. But I, I feel like I'm saying this about every game at the moment. They need to score goals. The amount of times that Sterling got to the byline and cut it back, and Nicholas Jackson, who actually had an, another what I would call quite infectious game, where it, it looked good because he was making lots of good sort of accelerating runs and putting himself about, but when the ball was flashing across the box or when Sterling was pulling them back, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. He wasn't even missing chances yesterday. He just wasn't there. And a, and a goal scorer would be. And the two sort of main periods of Chelsea's history in our lifetimes that we can remember them having success, they've always had good teams. But when they had Drogba and when they had Costa, that's when they were in the title race. And that's when they were winning leagues. And Nicholas Jackson ain't going to be that player. So that's the area for me that Poch is going to have to dip into the transfer market and do something about. Because I'm not sure Nkuku's an out-and-out striker, even when he comes back from injury. Nicholas Jackson is not going to score 25 goals a season, and I don't think Brozier is either. Um, so I think it's really simple for them. I think he, I think he's got a really good side there. They should be, the amount of money it's cost. I thought they played well yesterday. Um but they need a goal scorer and they're going to have to get one quite quickly if they want to challenge this year. Because I actually think they could. I think I they could be right up there. I've been really impressed with them against Liverpool and really impressed with them against West Ham. 3-1 is absolute joke. Yeah, um, well, I agree. I agree with you. I think they definitely need someone sort of 
converting those chances because obviously um, Nicholas Jackson's not quite there yet. Um, I was just so I, every time I watch him, and I know I bang on about I bang on about him every time. Every time I watch Enzo play, I just think, "Fuck me, he is good." Obviously, yeah. I know he missed the pen, and I was just I did a little bit of reading. <laughs> Basically, right, he's played twenty four times for Chelsea, yeah, and he's won four games. How yeah. mental is that stat? He's played twenty four yeah. times for Chelsea. He's won four games, lost thirteen, and drawn seven. But every time I watch him, I think he's the best player on the pitch. But that, that's what that's why that's why you can't look at the stats too much because those stats aren't because of him, are they? Do you know what I mean? It, whatever the problem is with Chelsea, it isn't him. I would go as far as to say that at the moment, and again, I'm judging it a little bit heavily on the first couple of games. Outside of maybe maybe Rodri, he is right up there as the best centre midfielder in the league, and he seems to be able to be be able to do it all. Yeah. Um. So he's certainly not the problem. Just touching on James Ward Prowse as well. Great move for him at West Ham. He's going to get a lot of assists because they like a they like a set piece goal, um, and they like a counter attack on the break a little bit, uh, a goal on the break a bit like the Antonio one yesterday. And he could find himself in that England squad next year as that sort of backup Jordan Henderson type role that we don't think he'll have next year. Um, so great move for him and great start. Yeah, I I agree. I think Will Prowse will definitely go to England. Um, I actually was just looking at Chelsea's. Uh... Chelsea's fixtures, they actually have Friday night football this week at home to Luton. And I've been thinking about Ollie Watkins out, Nicholas Jackson in. Because uh, Chelsea what, got a why? rotation. <laughs> uh, hear me out. Hear me out. I will come on to Villa uh, destroying Everton in a minute. Watkins got an assist, but didn't get 90 minutes. Isn't on penalties, which I was stunned at. Chelsea got a little run of games coming. I... I mean, I'm, I'm probably thinking about it now. It's probably a rubbish move, but that is one of the transfers of my two transfers I've been looking at is to bring Jackson in. I, I feel like he's he's got to start scoring soon. Well, also, the reason, out. yeah, so the reason they they paid the money for him basically from January onwards for Villarreal, he he ran hot, like he was scoring goals, sort of. So he's he's banging form. He's just obviously not turned it into goals in the Prem. So I can kind of see. Like, I can see see where you're coming from, but I, I like Nicholas Jackson. By the way, I, I've liked watching him play. He's noticeable, isn't he? Like his pace is electric, and he, I keep saying it's quite. If he was playing for my team, I'd like him. He just ain't scoring that twenty to twenty five goals that you need, no. and I think he'd be a horrendous shout for fantasy football. Unless yeah, it was yeah, like a I free do. Hit. Unless it was like a free hit for a week, and you thought they might blow Luton away, but if they beat Luton, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's the one getting the goals. He might be the one making runs and making the space, but he doesn't look to me like an Alex Murphy goal scorer. No. He's seven million as well, actually. So it's only be a million pound saving off of Watkins. But their next three fixtures, just to say, I mean, Chelsea might be a team to bring some people in for, maybe not Jackson then. Luton home, Forest home, Bournemouth away. Got to be nine points for Chelsea, really. Um and yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll be on a future pod and me thinking, why did I let you two talk me out of it? Or look at half 12 on Saturday. On Friday, no, sorry, it'll be Friday night game. Look on Friday evening and you've both brought him in. I'm sat there with yeah. Watkins. But... Don't ask me about fantasy football at the moment because I'm getting everything wrong. But I just, he's not, like you look at Chelsea Luton and you think, oh, we'll bring in the Chelsea striker. I wouldn't bring him in. 
Yeah, I wouldn't bring him in. Okay, I've been so impressed with Chelsea. So, like, even the defect like that is it Diassi at the back? I like, love the look of him. Colwell looks good. That like, I think such a good team. So much more impressed with them than I thought I would be at this stage of the season. Just wish they had a striker because they, if they had like Isak up front, they'd be right up there for me as challenging for the title this year. Yeah, we will see. We will see what happens and see if Chelsea delve into the transfer market in the next couple of weeks. Boys, best do a round up of the rest of the Prem really quickly. Um, just touched on Ollie Watkins and Villa. Um, I couldn't watch that game, same as I couldn't watch the Lionesses as I was dragged to IKEA, so missed back-to-back footy games. Um, thoughts on Villa's performance really quickly, Tomo, if you watched it? Yeah, so the standout performer for me was Moussa Diaby. Just thought he, he slotted in really well, it looks really impressive. Plays the sort of number 10 in behind Ollie Watkins. Um, he was creating chances for fun. He looked really good. Um, and sort of another takeaway, I, I guess, would be Everton and D- the DCL injury. Finally fit to start again after all his injury sort of woes. And um, and I, I know he come off in, I know it's not the sort of a, a typical injury. He got a head injury. Um, it looked quite a nasty one, to be fair. He basically, inadvertently headbutted um Emmy Martinez and he sort of looked like he'd gone five rounds with um Tyson Fury and his his sort of cheekbone um just underneath his eye had swollen up massively. But it sort of sort of sums up Everton at the minute where they need a striker. I know they're linked and I think they're on the verge of completing the signing of Che Adams for 15 million. Um but I'm not sure. like if Che Adams is the answer. I don't want to know what the question is to be honest, because but I just he strikes me as another kind of Neil Mopay signing where he'll come in play but won't sort of get the goals they need. Um, You've hit the nail on the head there, Tigo. He uh, Che Adams is in danger of being in that group, isn't he? That Dwight Gale's the president of of being too good for the championship and not good enough for the Premier League. But I just think we talk about Brighton and even like Brentford to some extent, everything that those teams are and how well ran they are and how good their recruitment is and how um, shrewd they are with their finances is everything that Everton aren't. And I just, I'm starting to think that even if Calvert-Lewin is fit, they are due a relegation that they've been flirting with for the last couple of years to go and reset and come back up. Because that's a big football club that shouldn't be dying at the bottom of the Premier League. And they just look dead to me. Yeah, completely yeah. gone. And also, like Che Adams for 15 million quid, he's got one year left on a Southampton deal and he's not signing a new deal. Like They must have some money now, mind Southampton. They must... The sellings that they've made. What's well, that yeah. now? Lavia, Ward-Prowse, 15 for Che Adams, Livramento. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, so I suppose they don't need the money. So it's like they can... And obviously they know that Everton desperately needed a striker. That's the thing. Like Everton are coming coming to these clubs with a sort of like their their beggars hat in their hands and just saying please give us something and and they're not in a strong position in in the market. Um, but you are right they they are the the most they're the sort of the the worst run club in the league and it will sort of be sort of kind kind of funny to see them go into their new stadium next season in the championship. Um, Apologies to all the Everton fans listening. Yeah, yeah, I doubt the Toffees will find that that uh, funny, to be honest. 20, what, 21 goals in three Premier League seasons for Che Adams. Do you know what I mean? I like him, but Everton's, Everton's problems is goals. Do you know what I mean? 
what is it about his seven a season that they think is going to be the answer to their prayers? Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Completely agree. And I like Che Adams. I think he's a good player. I'd love him at Leeds, particularly in the Championship. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, another example of throwing as much mud at the wall and seeing what sticks for Everton. Yeah, Everton need to, I think they need to pick up some points fairly quickly, similar to Wolves. I think it is Wolves, They, I said earlier, that they've got <clears throat> coming up, but they need some They need some points, definitely. They've got Wolves home, Sheffield United away, uh, and then they, they host Arsenal. So you, and you'd think those two next games, they need to be looking at minimum four, but probably six points. I know it's really early, but they, they're going to have another difficult year, it looks like. Just a roundup of the other Premier League results, guys. So uh, Liverpool won, um, Jota, Diaz, Salah all scoring. Salah missed another penalty. Uh, McAllister, red card though, threatened to kind of derail the game before Jota scored straight after. Um, probably an expected win for Liverpool, but just thoughts on the red card. Um, I, I think they're planning to overturn it, aren't they? Or um, appeal the overturn, I should say. Just thoughts on that one. Just not a red. I know, like uh, it's just not a red. Like when you what when you're watching the sort of the VAR things that they're watching and it's all slow motion. It does look worse than it is, but in real time and actually, sort of the level of contact. It wasn't. He almost just put his like lazily put his foot there as opposed to driven his foot through the guy. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a red for me. Um, just another example of referees and VAR's getting it wrong but obviously Liverpool won't mind they actually played slightly better when when he went off and that Dominic Shabozlai had a really good game um he looks really good and obviously Liverpool's new number 8 um getting the Stevie Gerrard number 8 so that he's he'll be one to watch this season but yeah other than that yeah, definitely not a red for me Loro Nothing, nothing to add. Not a red. Um, expected comfortable win for Liverpool. Their attackers are going to have to make sure they keep firing to pick up the points until they can sort out a stable midfield. Um, I thought Bournemouth looked quite threatening, especially early on there. But um, yeah, I mean, we all thought home win there, didn't we? Yeah, but yeah. That, that I actually thought the first ten minutes of that game was an example of why we all think that Liverpool won't be won't be near near the top at the minute because. Like Allison and Trent had their head head up their ass, and yeah. and yeah, and Bournemouth could have been sort of two three nil up by the time sort of Liverpool woke up. So exactly, and that's Bournemouth. Yeah, well. exactly, and they'll have um, and I just think that's the sort of issues that were happening last season, and, and if it's not changed now, then it might never. Yeah, I think Liverpool. You get a gauge. I think we'll get a gauge by the end of uh, September of where they've at. they've go travel to Newcastle next, host Villa. They've also got Tottenham and Brighton away in those in that time as well. I think they'll be probably high scoring games, win some, lose some, but that that's Liverpool at the minute. Uh, and then the final game, boys, just to touch on, and I'm starting to now think that in my FPL, I'm going to have to start to look at some of their players. Uh, Brentford going and winning away at Fulham three 0 um, In Buemo, Brace, Vissa scoring again. Um, I'm in danger, I think, of just saying no, no, they'll they'll fizzle out, they'll fizzle out. But they started well. Yeah, well, just on that, obviously, this is coming from a sort of an FPL angle. Their next three home games are Palace, Bournemouth, and Everton. So if there's ever a time to double up on a sort of a Brentford attack and get Embuemo in midfield and Wissa, then now's the time. 
Um, they've both gone up in price, so obviously they're really popular in FPL. But I mean, they look they look good. They look really good. Yeah, I think the start of this season was all about proving me wrong for Brentford, and they've started on the right foot. Um, Tony Luss, Wisser, and um, and Bueno seem to have stepped up to the plate, and that we, I mean, similar kind of category to Brighton, aren't they? In the way how well run they are with a good manager. Um, but another team I think we should gauge after um, four to six weeks rather than after two games. But great win against Fulham. Great stuff. And yeah, uh, Monday night football later tonight, chaps. We've already touched on it. Um, I think I went for Palace upset. Unfortunately, uh, Newcastle let down my outsider treble with West Ham winning yesterday. But um, yeah, looking forward to, to that one. Um, and on Thursday's pod, guys, we'll look ahead to the weekend action um, and go to that. Tomo, let's touch on the Lionesses. Um, both Laura and I out shopping, so unable to to watch it. But um, obviously came up a bit short. Uh, Spain-worthy winners, though. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was one of those sort of reminds me a little bit of the sort of Man United-Barcelona Champions League finals. Um, of was was it 2009 and 2011 where you just they were just much better sort of outfit they looked better sort of all across the park and um England just couldn't couldn't quite get it sort of get it done their quality Spain's quality showed um the left back Olga Kamana is it who scored the goal um great finish and I was really impressed with their centre mid um just what was her name? Um, bon Matty, the Barcelona centre mid. Um, she was sort of a step above our our girls. Um, and basically, if it wasn't for Mary Earps, they would have won the game comfortably. She obviously saved a penalty, a couple other really good saves. Um, and yeah, sort of the, le- the less the less I say about Lauren James, the better. <laughs> Because yeah. she fucking pissed me off when she come on. Obviously, she is clearly, and I obviously she is clearly our best player. Let me just put that out there. But she just strolled around the pitch like she just wasn't part of the team at all. And I don't know whether it's just because of it's her body language, but she and it's and maybe it's just because I know that she is our best player. But she just seemed like she just didn't give one single fuck up. Like, and Mel, maybe she was pissed off that she didn't start. Um, but yeah. I. I but you shouldn't. Let's be honest. I shouldn't be negative like about any of them because they got to the final, and I was watching it at, um, in the sports um, cafe at Centre Parks, and it was absolutely rammed with families, like really good vibes. So obviously they've done the country proud, just falling at the final hurdle. Um, but yeah, D- Spain deserved winners. Good stuff. Yeah, and. Um echo that they have done so it's proud and also they're just like they're they're becoming bigger names now aren't they they're big names like you know alessia russo everyone everyone knows now lauren james everyone's speaking about it seems to be uh growing at a rate of knots but yeah unlucky to the lionesses like the men's team come up a bit short but hopefully men can save the uh blushes in the euros next year and go all the way uh, boys, let's move on to EFL uh, very briefly. Um, start in League Two, actually. Ben Foster uh, today announced his retirement from professional football after, I think, a bit of a shaky start to the season and Wrexham are shipping in goals. Obviously, great career for him. Had that some magical moments last year with the Notts County penalty save, etc. Um, but yeah, five all 
Lauro. I think 4-1 down, 5-3 down going into stoppage time and bring it back to 5 all. Is that just kind of going to be the Wrexham experience all season? Well, that's been the Wrexham experience for the last couple of seasons, hasn't it? I mean, they, they, they're prone to a 4-3, a 4-all, a 5-4, a 5-all. Um, I don't think that's necessarily Ben Foster's fault. I just think, I think with his retirement, I think he was ready to retire before. Obviously, came back out. It was a, a sort of a mutually um, good deal for him last year, where he could do his podcasting stuff and all that, whilst helping Wrexham. And he obviously got sort of coerced, not coerced, but um, what can I, what can I, how can I put it, um, influenced into coming back into the team for League Two. And I think he's just probably thought mm, there's a there's a week left of the transfer window. Maybe let's just uh, let's let Wrexham go out and get a proper number one because. Uh, you know, he had the mindset of retirement a couple of a couple of months ago, and um, it's probably hard to get the full fire and hunger back after that. So, probably a good uh, decision all round. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I think he has his like Foscast done in the cycle in GK, and he had it. I think Wrexham was one of the teams that would allow him to have his uh, his camera in the back of the net and stuff like that. So, yeah, good luck to him. Hopefully, he'll be a guest on the show. Uh, in in the future but yeah good luck to him and we'll see how uh our Wrexham go um move up to league one Wigan going and winning away at Bolton I think on the last pod we were talking how Bolton had won their first three looked like they were going to be right up there if not kind of title title challengers winners um but Wigan go and spin them four nil into positive points now onto Two points, I think, after starting on minus, minus eight, minus eight, or maybe whatever, the, however the points work out for that, maybe onto one point. But unbelievable job happening there. I think it's Sean Maloney, who's manager there. Do you think that they'll now fancy climbing up through that table and trying to go from negative points into promotion places? Definitely, I think. I think you'd. I think you'd fancy them now to go up. I think sometimes that points deduction can have the sort of reverse effect, can't it, and galvanise a team together. And now that they've wiped that out, like you said, Sean Maloney's in charge. They've got Charlie White up front. In those leagues, sometimes it's about your strike. I'm not, no disrespect to the rest of the team. They've got some good players there, but they have got a goal scorer. What we've spoken about, how important that can be at any club today. Um, and to go and put four past Bolton, who are one of the big favourites to do something this year, um, I think that has set a real... Um, impression on the rest of the league and they've got that they'll have that aura about them now won't they where teams will think well Wigan they're not the they're not the minus points team in trouble they're winning games um and I think they'll probably be up there at the end of the season now and it wouldn't surprise me if they went on and went up automatically yeah league one's obviously always always one of those leagues and it'll be interesting to see what we can do there but I'm just looking here Every team in League One's now lost already through four games. You got Cambridge, who were bang favourites to go down. Bolton, Peterborough, Oxford, Stevenage, all on nine points. Um, and then, yeah, only three points off sides that are into the bottom half already. So that league will carry on as it always does and be exciting. But yeah, so yeah. Wigan, Wigan are unbeaten. So three wins, one draw, obviously with the points deduction means they're in 19th place. But so they're the only team and you've got Portsmouth for unbeaten as well. Am I Wigan, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Wigan. Yeah, sorry. Wigan started. Wigan, of course, are unbeaten. They're now on to two points. And yeah, they'll be they'll be looking to climb up for that table. And as you say, with the only being seven points off it, they could be right up there really soon. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see that. And then move into the championship quickly and uh want to talk on Ipswich. I think it's 22 games unbeaten now. Um, I think they've made the perfect start in the league, nine points from three games alongside Leicester. Laurie, just want to touch on the job. Kieran McKenna's doing that. I think you spoke on an earlier pod about how they've unearthed a bit of a gem there. Yeah, they've just stumbled. Every now and again, that happens, doesn't it? You just stumble. Or maybe Ipswich have just got an unbelievable recruitment machine. Um, but they haven't necessarily got the right managers in place there in the past, have they? But they've definitely stumbled across a gem um, in Kieran McKenna, who's got them playing some really good football and winning lots and lots of games. Like you said, they're unbeaten in 20-something games now, and the vast majority of them are wins. And guess who they're playing at the weekend? Home against Leeds, just what we want. Yeah, and just a little uh, note on Leeds, Lauro. I know uh, I know. we'll move on to Yeovil, your other side, in a minute. But um, I think we've spoke about it, Nick. You're not expecting too much from a results point of view, but but happy with the, the words of the manager and how he's kind of setting out how he's going to run Leeds. Yeah, really happy. And I was happy on Friday night as well. West Brom at home, I just thought, you look at the side, it's so different to last season. It's so different to how it was back in the championship last time in terms of the quality for at the side. But we have got a set of lads there that want to play. And he didn't even field a substitutes bench because he said, I'm not going to put players on there just for the sake of it if they're not good enough or they don't want to be here. I think we had three goalkeepers in the squad. Um, so, yeah, love what he's doing. But this week's key, we've just sold Tyler Adams for 24 million, I think. So there should be um, either money in the bank or... Um, opportunity to buy players now, financial fair play wise, whichever the problem was. Big, big week because what are we 21st of August today, we've got about nine days. Yeah, and no, no midweek fixtures this week for us to cover. So, Thursday, we'll have a little look into EFL fixtures and uh, on what how teams are, are shaping up ahead of the weekend. Uh, and then the final topic for today, boys, and what I think most listeners probably come to hear about, um, the mighty glovers. So again, I'm still out injured at the minute. So I had the pleasure of going on Saturday. Uh, Laura played Maidenhead, I think, who came down with us last year from Maidstone. From yeah. Maidstone um, from the conference. What What did you think of the uh, display? Um, I thought Maidstone were the worst team that we played this season, and didn't even didn't offer a lot. Um, I, I I'm really struggling to put my look. It's only four games. And we're like, I think we're sixth or seventh in the table. We're doing okay. But we haven't touched on the National League, League North at all yet. Scunthorpe is sort of the equivalent of us and Torquay in that league. And they're top already clear um, with 10 points. So that's where I was hoping to be at this stage. Not being disrespectful to the National League South. Just thinking our players, our manager, our club on paper um, should be up there. So I'm hoping now the next few games, we're sort of digging out results whilst we're playing ordinarily hopefully the performances can improve we can start beating some teams with a little bit more um confidence and a little bit more authority than we have been doing so far because otherwise it's going to be a long season if it's scraping coming from behind and draws at home yeah i i think screaming out for a bit of pace out wide um 
we've I think previously been trying to fit all the kind of big names onto the pitch at the same time, which maybe hasn't fit. It looks like Cooper's starting to have a think about how he can maybe bring some of these guys off the bench and utilize them with the number of games we've got. I'd love to see a Pacey winger signed or Ollie Thomas given a, a chance to start start a game soon. So um I'm hoping to be fit to play on Saturday. Um so won't be there. But if I'm not, I'm sure uh It'll be good to who've we got on Saturday? Is it Tunbridge Angels this weekend? Tunbridge yeah. Angels, yeah. So yeah, we'll be looking forward to see the mighty Tunbridge if I can. Um, and hopefully three more points for the Glovers. Boys, I think that's about all we got time for uh today. Everyone eager to go and watch Monday night football and hopefully Palace uh do the business against Arsenal. Um, thanks everyone for listening. I say we'll be back on Thursday to look ahead to the weekend action in the Prem and across the football pyramid, and hopefully some big transfer notes. Speak to you soon.